KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So things are starting to open up and people are starting to go back to work. But what do you do if you need to go back to work, but your child care provider isn't open yet or your child care provider has shuttered its doors forever? This is a really important aspect of this road back to quote unquote normalcy that I don't think people are paying nearly enough attention to. If you want the economy to get back to where it was, people have to get back to work. And if you want people to get back to work, quality child care has to be available. We were really interested in learning more about this, so we reached out and got a hold of Dr. Blythe Rosakevich. She is an assistant professor of management at Westchester University. We had a fascinating discussion about the, the state of child care in the U.S. even before the pandemic, where it is now, and, and what big problems we're facing here as we try to reopen. Really interesting stuff. Give a listen. All right, well, let's start at the beginning. What is the state of child care, daycare in the U.S. during this pandemic from what you have seen and observed? Well, um, if I can back up just a little bit to give a little bit more um, background to my answer to this question. Um, before the pandemic even started, child care, the state of child care in the United States was not really in a great place. So just um, when I say childcare, I'm talking about all of the different options combined, and those options are parent at home, uh, family caretaker, someone else, a, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, cousin, etc., comes in and takes care of the child or children in the home. Uh, there is the option of having a nanny or au pair, someone that you hire to, to take care of your children in your home, or a nanny share is uh, an option that's seen a lot in Philadelphia, where multiple families share one nanny. There are in-home daycares, licensed in-home daycares where you know one individual will run a small business, take care of multiple children. And then finally, there are the traditional daycare child care facilities. So when I'm when I say child care, that's what I'm referring to. I'm referring to all of those different possible ways that parents, you know, choose to have somebody else watch their children while they are at work. And watch them, educate them, love them, you know, all of these sorts of things that go into a really meaningful childcare experience. So pre-pandemic, um, childcare was in a tough spot. So there are a little bit more than 50% of the U.S. population lives in what's known as a childcare desert. And a childcare desert is defined as a, a census tract with more than 50 children under the age of five that contains either no childcare providers whatsoever or so few options that there are three times the number of children as available. And these these childcare deserts are all over the United States. Obviously, they are in rural communities. They're in urban communities. Anybody who has raised a child somewhere in Philadelphia in the city has probably run into an issue like this. My husband and I lived in Fishtown for four years and trying to to find childcare in Fishtown was quite a challenge. Um, And it's, you know, you hear about daycare lists that are a year long. So that's where we were 
before the pandemic even hit. You know, we we as parents were really struggling to to find quality trusted daycare at a reasonable price so that we could, you know, keep our kids safe and happy and also, you know, do the jobs that we love, that we that you know fulfill us and all that that make our lives work and all that sort of thing. So when the pandemic hit, the the first set of numbers I'm going to talk about is from late to mid-March. And at that point in time, the National Association for the Education of Young Children did a survey that found that 27% of licensed childcare providers could survive a one-month-long closure. So once the stay, the, the shelter-at-home orders went out, everyone began quarantining, daycare providers began shutting their doors, only a quarter of them believed that they would be able to survive for more than a month. 11% believed that they could survive for an indeterminate amount of time. So again, this was end of March, call it. We are now mid-May. You're looking at at least half of the licensed daycare providers have shuttered their doors, most likely for good. Um, That's roughly four and a half million daycare spots for kids five and under have been lost in the United States from the pandemic. That it, that's a crisis, um, particularly when you consider that a lot of those spots aren't coming back. So that's sort of the, the licensed days care aspect. How are parents dealing with it now? Um, the phrase that I hear most frequently is end of my rope or frayed nerves or don't know how much longer we can do this. And a lot of that is more personal, anecdotal um, than it is research-based because there's not a lot of research out there on this right now because it's currently happening. But yeah, the the state of of childcare and daycare in the U.S. right now is pretty dire. Going back to the numbers you cited and stuff like that before we we move ahead, what do you think is behind the reasons for even when things were quote-unquote good that Mm – this was such a problem. Is it the, the, the cost of running it? Was, was it enough, enough trained professionals? Is it a mixture of reasons? What, what do you think's behind the, the reason why there was, uh, we were at the point we were? There were multiple reasons and you, you hit on several of them. First and foremost is that daycares, while they are very expensive to parents, they run on pretty small margins. They are not money makers because you have to have, you have to make sure, you know, a daycare facility is licensed, that it, you know, is approved by the state, that it's following all the regulations that are necessary for federal, state, and and local laws and bylaws and, and statutes. They need to make sure that everybody who comes into their facility has the appropriate level of education and, you know, if they have the the Red Cross certifications and there are so many certifications and hoops almost that need to be jumped through for childcare centers and providers to be licensed. And then there are so many overhead costs that that occur. You know, if you're trying to open up a childcare center in somewhere like Philadelphia, rent is not cheap. 
So trying to find a place where the rent is somewhat affordable, where you can have enough children where you can you can make a dent in something of a, a childcare desert or provide uh, the space for enough children that the, the neighborhood needs, then you have to get in people who you have to, to vet very, very heavily to make sure that they, you know, you do background checks and to make sure everybody has the appropriate education certifications, et cetera. It's just, it's a very expensive industry and it can possibly be difficult to get individuals who are certified and who also want to work there because it's also not a very well-paid industry. Childcare is not supported at the federal level in a way that would make it, I guess, attractive to business owners and to people to want to work in. I mean, that, that all kind of comes together. There's, there's not federal support. There aren't, you know, tax breaks or, or anything that might be necessary. And it's, it's just not a, a money-making business is, is part of it, I suppose. So as we slowly move towards reopening the country, other certain places hot faster than others, but is this a concept, is this a point that we are not giving enough attention to because if there's no one to take care of the kids, it's very difficult for people to go to work. It's not like we can just wave a magic wand and okay, everybody's back to work. Uh, is this something mm-hmm. that decision makers aren't paying enough attention to and aren't figuring in to how we're going to do this? I absolutely agree. Yes, that that decision makers are not considering the ramifications of not having childcare when they discuss reopening. And as a perfect example, you know, before this call, just to to make sure I was um, wasn't incorrectly maligning those individuals who are in charge of our government right now, I actually went back and I looked at the plans for reopening that have been published so far by Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania, Governor Mercy, Murphy, excuse me, in New Jersey, and Governor Hogan down in Maryland, which is where I grew up. And the Maryland plan barely mentions child care at all. The New Jersey plan has child care, I believe, in either step three or four of the five steps to reopening, excuse me. Pennsylvania has the reopening of child care in the, the yellow phase. So I guess the, the middle ground there where telework still needs to continue, businesses can begin to reopen, you know, we can have some large gatherings, indoor recreation, gyms, salons, those all stay closed, bars and everything are still limited, but businesses can begin to resume. So of those three, Pennsylvania seems to have the best grasp on how important it is to to open daycares and child cares if you're going to consider reopening the economy. Maryland's is probably the most concerning simply because they don't really call it out or mention it. Again, this was a very cursory reading. I did not go into detail there. And then New Jersey's certainly does, you know, talk about it, but it might just be a little bit later in the plan than would be most beneficial to most employees. Because the other thing to keep in mind here is if you don't have, for for my family example, I have a a one-year-old daughter and an almost two-year-old son. And, you know, if if somebody is sick or if, you know, my husband and I have to go to work on a day when the the daycare is closed, um, we call grandparents. 
and the, the grandparents come on down, you know, spend the day with the kids. Everybody has a good time. We have some dinner and then we all go home and, and we're good for the day. But we can't rely on that right now because, you know, my parents are almost 70 and almost 80. My in-laws, they're in their 60s. You know, they're all four of them are solidly in that over 65 high risk category, except my mother-in-law. She is not. Have to, have to throw that in there. But no, so we're, our main backup system is no longer there. So if your front line isn't there, your, your front line of childcare and your backup of childcare isn't there, how can we consider reopening the economy in a safe way when, according to the Department of Labor, 93% of fathers and 71% of mothers participate in the economy, meaning they have jobs or they're searching for jobs, what are they supposed to do? It, do you just cross your fingers and look at the risks and do what you have to do and try to be as, as safe as possible? Or do you step out of the workforce for who knows how long? It's That's kind of where we are right now. Not just in the short term here as people make decisions trying to reopen, but earlier you mentioned all the places that are probably going to shutter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how big a problem medium, I mean, obviously we've talked about the short term, but medium mm-hmm. long term, let's game this out. I mean, how is this going to change things and let's be cold and calculated, hamper the economy? I don't know. My gut feeling, and this is, so I'll try to be, I will try to be very open when what I'm talking about is research-based and I will try to also couch what is my personal opinion and feeling and experience. So research has shown us that when uh, a child enters a family and childcare decisions need to be made and there's a, a wane of options, it is more frequently the woman who steps out of the workforce for a short or long period of time in order to stay home and raise the children. That is the fact historically. Yes, there are men who, who take time away from work, but generally speaking, research supported, women are the ones who, who step back from work to take care of the home. And excuse me, the home and the family. I'm, I apologize. Um, so that is kind of what happens there. They no longer work outside of the home. So that will probably end up happening a lot more because if the decision is no child care and we both go back to work or we have to take care of our children and only one of us goes back to work, then it's really not a choice. Somebody has to step away from the workforce. And again, generally speaking, it is the woman who will do that or the mother or the wife, however you'd like to phrase it. And again, this is This is very general. This is not taking into account single parents or all the different facets and types of families that there are. So I want to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, your listeners have all different types of families and all different roles. And, you know, there's a lot of diversity there. So I don't mean to only speak to a, a certain section I'm just trying to, I suppose, generalize if that's an okay way to look at this. So my guess is we will see a lot of people stepping back from the workforce, or 
we will see those families who don't have that option, who rely on two incomes, they're going to have to make some very serious mental calculations or, or juggling or something to, to figure out how to make two schedules work for a much longer duration than we had expected. Or they will have to seek out maybe less optimal circumstances for childcare. So, you know, saying to mom or dad, like, hey, I understand that you're over 65 and you are high risk and, you know, maybe you have a pulmonary condition, but we really need someone to watch the kids. So is that something you consider? So those are, I guess, the, the two things that I see happening. I see a lot of people exiting the workforce and I see people having to make suboptimal decisions because you have to have childcare. It could be on a greater societal scale, really, really detrimental to, to anybody who has to step away from their careers, but to women specifically. There's a little bit of a wild card in here. I think what so many people are working from home, and I think that is going to continue long-term mm-hmm. for a wide swath of, uh, of the workforce. I shouldn't say, but a significant swath of the mm-hmm. workforce. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, these are middle to, to high middle income jobs, I think, that mm-hmm. would be able to weather the storm better. But could that be something that sways in the positive that more people are going to be working from home? And while it's not optimal to be working, trying to work with you know, the kids running around, at least you somebody's there able to take care of them and stuff. Could that ease a little bit of the pressure, you think? My own personal experience and I say this knowing that I am very fortunate. Um, I am I am employed. Uh, my husband is employed. We are both able to work from home. So, you know, the two of us working from home with two kids here, we are very, very lucky. You know, we are stable. We're, we're good. We're in the very fortunate sector of the population. And we are drowning. Um, every single day <laughs> is like just a, a race from sunup to bedtime because we are juggling, you know, the, the two kids who are at ages where they need constant supervision. I mean, my, my son will, will watch TV. Daniel Tiger is, is the current favorite. Um, he'll watch TV for, you know, half an hour, but he won't do it by himself. He'll still come and check on us. He's actually, um, I had to set him up in our bedroom and put it on so I could have this call because he decided he didn't want to nap today. So we're, we're juggling that and we are juggling my husband who he needs to, he needs to be doing, um, zoom calls and meetings and answering emails all day long, he, he really can't be out of contact with his employees and, and those to whom he reports. So it's really difficult for him to kind of chunk out parts of his day to give me time to do my job, um, you know, my my instruction and my research and, and service and advising and all the things that are a part of a, a professorship. You know, yes, my job is very flexible, but it is still a job. So we're trying to juggle two careers and two kids and it's been barely possible for, for what, 10 weeks now, you know, because the kids go to bed around eight ish and that's really when we start working for the day and we'll work from, you know, 8 PM to about midnight, go to sleep and then wake up around seven and do it all over again. And my daughter is is still nursing. So you know, there's, she wakes up around six and it's, 
even for those of us who can work from home, it's impossible to be a full-time employee and a full-time parent. Um, you, you can't be both. And one added layer to that for people with older children is the homeschooling aspect. You know, I have a lot of friends whose kids are in the, the younger elementary school years and they're, they're fighting to keep six and seven-year-olds on Zoom calls for, you know, two or three hours a day. And it, that's not in, engaging for anybody. And the teachers are trying so hard. They are, I, you know, I also have friends who are teachers and they are dedicating so much of themselves to trying to reach their students and keep them engaged and keep them learning and do everything that they can while also most likely being parents themselves. You know, I guess the answer to your question is even, even if you can work from home, you still need childcare. One does not cancel out the other. Um, even if you're lucky enough to work from home, that just means you don't have to, to come in contact with as many people, but you, you can't watch your kids and do your job at the same time. And I think that is something that a lot of parents now know very intimately is, is you can't be both. And there's, there's a reason that, you know, you're not a stay-at-home parent and a working parent. Like, you are one or the other. So let's turn for home here and talk about how could this be fixed. You're, I'm going to give you carte blanche. You're in charge. How would you fix the child care problem in the <clears throat> country? Let's, I mean, obviously in the, through the lens of a pandemic, but overall, what are some things that you think really need to happen to make the child care situation better overall in the long term, even when things are quote unquote back to normal? Well, let me start with something that I actually came across as I was prepping for this interview, and it is something called the Child Care Relief Campaign. And this is for the short term. And what this organization was formed to do is it's a, a coalition of organizations that are, are representative of different needs and perspectives of the U.S. child care system as a whole. So this is looking at daycares, it's looking at schools, it's looking at after school programs, it's looking at summer camps, all of the, the educational programs for children in the United States. Members of the coalition are organizations like the Alliance for Early Success, Bipartisan Policy Center, which is a think tank in, in D.C. that looks for um, economic opportunities and educational needs in, in the United States, Early Care and Education Consortium, the First Five Years Funds, and the Save the Children Action Network. So these are really big. I believe there are, I want to say, 17 members of this consortium, and this particular campaign that they have come together to launch was launched for one purpose, and it was to ensure that the child care industry receives dedicated funding from Congress in the next round of federal aid. So I think so far in all of the aid packages that have been passed through Congress at the federal level, there's been about three, somewhere around $3 billion of support for the child care industry. Granted, a lot of these businesses are eligible for the, the small business aid, but that hasn't been distributed as well as many people had hoped it would be. It really 
has not helped the childcare industry from that perspective. So advocates for the childcare industry, including this childcare relief campaign, are asking for $50 billion of federal aid, money, and stimulus to help to not just support the current system, but to fundamentally change the system. That's a great place to start for right now. So, you know, any of your listeners who are parents or grandparents who are, you know, angry about the state of things right now and are, are very scared for childcare, when, even in right now or in the medium and long term, this is something that they can do some, some searching on their own, look at it and, and see if it's something that they might consider. So that's not a plug. I haven't given them any money. It's just something that I, I came across when I was looking at a bunch of different surveys and research reports and, and other, you know, there was a, an article two days ago in the Washington Post talking about how this was such a big problem and how it will continue to be a big problem, um, you know, that was sort of writ large by the pandemic. That's one thing we can do in the short term to really sort of wake up our federal legislature to how big of a problem this really is, is we can campaign for greater uh, monetary support. And then through that monetary support, try to restructure childcare as a whole. So if I were to, if I were to, to rule the world and try to structure or put into place a structure of childcare that would be more supportive of the family, working adults, working women, because I am one, so that is the perspective with which I am most intimately associated and experienced, etc. There needs to be some sort of federal support for early childhood development and education, something akin to what we see in European countries where, you know, they pay little to nothing for nurseries and nursery school and daycares. And you will see countries like Sweden, like uh, like France, where they have opportunities for very low or no cost childcare starting very, very young. And women are therefore able to, to go back to work pretty, pretty quickly after having children. You know, families don't have to juggle the whole well, childcare is so incredibly expensive. Is it really worth it to have both of us working or should we just tighten our belts and, and try to muddle through until the children are in elementary school and then the parent who stayed home can try to re-enter the workforce with all of the, the challenges and hurdles and setbacks that, that go along with that. So I think it needs to, to start at a federal level and I think there needs to be a societal shift in how we think about childcare. There seems to be this idea that parents are on their own when it comes to childcare. And, you know, this, I'm again, this is one viewpoint that I have heard um, that, you know, you, you chose to have children, so you deal with it. And I agree, I, I did choose to have children. They're awesome. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change that choice for the world, but the children that I am having today and raising will also be working adults who are hopefully going to, to do wonderful things to support society, and they're going to pay taxes, and 
you know, they're they're going to pay into Social Security and Medicare and, and all of these different programs that support our country as a whole. So, yeah, I should probably have some support while I'm raising that. I mean, it's it's the it's the society is the greater good argument as opposed to the more individualistic idea of the family deals with the family and instead of the whole, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. So it's it's two differing viewpoints. And unfortunately, from my perspective right now, the United States has trended towards the individualistic, you chose to be a parent, that's your, you know, thing to deal with when there are greater benefits to children, to parents, to families, to society, when there are programs in place to support parents raising their children and taking care of their children so that they can then work and be drivers in the economy that's trying to recover. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.